Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. My name is Ben Gary, and I am sadly not joined by a co-host this week, as I usually am, because Ed, who was planning on joining me, uh, has sadly lost his voice after a few days off sick, so we agreed that that probably wouldn't make for the best audio experience, and uh, he decided to give this one a miss. Uh, But despite my lack of co-hosts, I am not alone for this week's recording, because I'm joined by today's guest, Helene Yelentz, who is the head of SEO and research at Wallflower Studios. Helene, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Slovenia. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you. I'm glad you're here because otherwise this would just be me talking into the void. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm very excited about the topic we've got you on for today. Um, So I don't want to waste any time getting into it because I know that there's a lot we can cover Uh, And I want to give you the opportunity to talk about it in as much detail as we can fit into the episode. Um, So I will just set up a little a little bit about kind of when I first kind of encountered this topic. And then it would be great to hear from you um, how you got to this point, because I think you've got a bit of a different career journey from some of the people that we've spoken to before on on the podcast. Um, So I first heard from you at, at Brighton SEO back in September this year. Uh, the first in-person conference for a long time after all of everything with the pandemic. Uh, and I think your talk was one of the first ones I heard. Uh, it was on anthropology and SEO. Uh, and also I took it away as kind of one of my favorite talks from the conference as well. So I was very, very excited to uh, be able to get you on the podcast to talk about it more. Um, and it's it's this sort of fascinating, really unique topic and a very unique way of looking at SEO. So First and foremost, I would just love to hear, how did you get to this position today that you have at Wallflower Studios? And, and what, was your, what was your journey that kind of led to this unique perspective that you brought to Brighton SEO? Oh, goodness. <laughs> in, <laughs> well, we can do the, the bird's eye view now, and then we can go into yeah. some of, maybe some of the details as we go through some of the other questions. No, of course. Um, so I studied anthropology. I'm from the U.S., born and bred (laughs) there. (laughs) I got my bachelor's degree and I got my master's degree both in anthropology. And um, back in 2012, I left the U.S. and sort of just never went back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was working freelance, uh, doing a lot of research, consulting, um, maybe content creation, data entry, anything I can get my hands on. At this point, people weren't necessarily working online. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was a bit weird for a lot of people. And uh, I started doing a travel blog and I was like, okay, well, I have this blog. I want people to see it. I don't know how to get, how how do I get into results? (laughs) I don't know how to do this. Uh, So I started reading about SEO. This was probably back in around 2014. I started reading blogs and trying to implement these little tiny bits of on-page SEO into my blog. I didn't really learn anything about technical SEO or off-page SEO for a few years. So I guess I was yeah. very exclusively focused on creating content that is going to rank and that people want to read. Yep. Um, so that's sort of like my, probably my most developed aspect of using anthropology with SEO, because this is where I started. 
And in the last couple of years, yeah, I've gotten into doing a little bit more. I wanted to learn a bit of the technical aspect because you can make great content, but if it's not indexed, yes, absolutely, you're in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I started seeing a lot of these connections, which we'll talk about later, uh, anthropology and SEO, and it just was a really natural combination of both of them and uh, I started teaching SEO workshops and helping a lot of friends who had websites and blogs and I was like you know what I really love doing this and so I started Wallflower Studios with a friend of mine yeah. she's more on the social side of things um, and yeah that's how I got here. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant and yeah that's that's a really interesting way and so you're pretty much sort of self-taught with your own blog into SEO and then just kind of made a made a career out of it from there which is awesome yeah (laughs) and I know um you mentioned research there in the sort of earlier part of your career and kind of leading into SEO but now I know you've still got research in your job title which I thought when I saw that is quite a quite a unique thing that is is maybe not you don't see in kind of other places uh with SEO so I was just wondering what that means for your for your day-to-day role and kind of how that ties in with your SEO responsibilities Yeah, um, well, we're a new agency, so things are still developing. Uh, We're still also small. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I wanted research to be really important because it is important to me. I'm very, like, academic-based with my research. Mm. Um, I know a lot of different strategies and methods and ways of analyzing data, and I cannot separate this from who I am. So this plays a massive role in me doing research for SEO. Yeah, that's how awesome. I'm very systematic about it, how I approach it, what I what aspects do I look at? And uh, yeah, I mean, there's research involved of researching competitors, potential target audiences, uh, researching yeah. content. Um, there's lots of research. So basically, yeah, I'm looking at all the big data sets as well as maybe trying to look at the smaller um, nuanced cultural elements as well. So it's a bit of a mix. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting that you're pulling that out as something that is that is really important and kind of recognizing that because as you speak like a lot of that stuff is is familiar in terms of activities that I think most SEOs would be engaged with but actually recognizing it and being able to bring your academic background to it um sounds really really interesting um so it's like research just to kind of sum it up it's research that you're doing for your clients right kind of an aspect of the service that you're providing to the businesses that you work with yeah brilliant and I know this ties into everything else that we're going to talk about so before we go too much further I can't bury the lead too much and have to ask you what is anthropology (laughs) Uh, because not I don't want to assume that that everybody that I have a great understanding of it or that or that people listening have even sort of come across it really before so if you can define it what does that mean to you and practically yeah sure um Don't worry if you are not aware of anthropology. I have been asked a million weird things of what it is (laughs) for people who don't know. It's the study of humanity's past, present, and future in a very basic sense. So um, I know that a lot of people in Europe are more familiar with anthropology that has been a bit broken apart. Mm -hmm. So it's more in ethnography, cultural studies, cultural anthropology, Um, this is kind of where it lives, where in the U.S., anthropology uh, kind of developed a bit differently. And we have four fields. So we'll have linguistics, 
So linguistic anthropology, biological anthropology, cultural anthropology, archaeology. And then yeah. there's another uh, section called applied anthropology. Okay. <clears throat> so applied anthropology, which is what I specialize in, uh, along with cultural anthropology, is that I can take those things that I've learned in the research skills and apply them to everyday life. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So anthropology, you said like the study of past, present and future for, for humans. Just what, what would be some examples of things that maybe from what you've, you've studied yourself, like what, what kind of things are you looking for and interested in? Hmm. Well, for me, I was focused on my academic studies was more on resource, a resource allocation. Um, okay. I've also did work with public policy in D.C. and the U.S., um, looking at how people are accessing resources, uh, what kind of okay. networks are they building. Uh, is it a, and this is where I saw how connected people were, actually. They were using uh, government resources. They were using private resources through, like, churches or nonprofits. But they also had these vast social networks, which were actually the most important part of right. people being able to make ends meet. And through realizing that these networks are really big, uh, that I saw how to study a lot of other aspects of our life. Um, and I saw how there's all these layers of things going on. And this yeah. sort of, yeah, this influenced how I sort of use these ideas today. Well, yeah, that, that's fascinating. And I know this idea of, of networks and interconnectedness uh, from what you even just spoke about at Brighton is, is a big part of where this comes into SEO. So that's probably the next step. Um, what is it that led you to, to think that anthropology and SEO could, could go together? Like, what, what do they have in common? Hmm. This was something that was, it's a bit difficult for me to articulate. I'm going to try. <laughs> it was <laughs> something that just clicked one day. Okay. Um, many people talk about SEO and they talk about it in a very, I feel like a technical way. They're talking about yeah. Google. They're talking about search engines. Um, and that's fine. But for me, SEO is very people first. Um, it's Google was made by people. Um, yeah. this, the rules were made by people. The content's made by people. It's for people. Um, so there's all these things going on that it, for me, it felt very cultural, very human and not technical. And I mm. felt like this was kind of missing and it just felt very natural. Um, I think a lot of the ideas of being able to see a, a wide range of things. In anthropology, you might be looking at um, the eating habits, the gender roles, the language, you know, all this stuff. And then with SEO, you're working on a website. Yeah, you're looking at the technical. You're looking at the on-page. You're, you're looking at the off-page. There's all these bits. And being able to see that massive picture and the small picture and, and being yeah. able to understand both of these aspects, I think, is what anthropology helped me with. Yeah, well, that, that makes a lot of sense because I think in the material that we get from, like, say, get from Google as well, um, they we know that Google themselves are trying to understand human behavior and gear search towards what humans want and what's going to engage us the most. Um, and whether or not SEOs are thinking about it, I think, I don't know if even Google would phrase it as as anthropology or doing or, or kind of overlapping in that academic way but they're clearly they're clearly trying to understand kind of human desires needs relationships themselves and and work out how to build a search engine that meets as many of those as possible which is maybe a little bit scary in some senses 
um, but also really makes sense with what you're saying. And actually, I think the the link now that you've said it seems quite clear, which is yeah. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, something I actually noticed as well from my own kind of university background, because my background's in uh, in in English language and literature. Mm-hmm. And um, on the language side of things in particular, I sort of came into SEO again, not with that technical background and could just see, I think you can see the way that Google is understanding language and trying to um, trying to get better at kind of understanding human language and all of its nuances to serve users the best. Um, and I think just having kind of other perspectives like that coming from a non-technical background seem to be it's really helpful in kind of carving out a path for yourself in, in SEO. So I think it's really cool that you've been able to do that with your background too. Thank you. Yeah, that's interesting. And definitely, yeah, the language thing is probably a whole nother topic that's yes. super fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a, I really want to cover it on the podcast at some point. So I'll have to bookmark that for the future. Maybe we can have you back again to talk about <laughs> some other stuff. Um because, yeah, I know you, obviously you mentioned you had your kind of blogging and content background as well that brought you into SEO. But I should probably stay on topic because I do really want to give you the chance to talk about um, all of this, this awesome stuff that we've kind of teased with anthropology. So one of the points that you mentioned in your Brighton talk that I'm really keen to hear you talk about in a bit more detail now um, was the, the key relationships in SEO. And you talked about there being relationships between users search engines and websites um and how does sort of conceptualizing seo in that way uh help make us better like how how do thinking about relationships help us practically of course (laughs) um so yeah these relationships i think will help people to understand that while it looks like a very technical relationship between a computer and a website and a search engine that it's actually a very human experience. It's yeah. very social. I mean, keywords wouldn't exist if humans weren't using them. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's it's very human. There's a human making the rules, the ranking factors. They make the search engines. They they make the content. Um, if there weren't us, none of these relationships would exist. So they are human. And the user is a really important place, I think, for me to start because yeah. a person can maybe choose to use a search engine based on if it's available in their country or not, or if it's available mm. in their language or not. Um, maybe they don't, uh, they're not comfortable with English. And so therefore maybe their search results are not exactly, exactly what they're looking for. Um, yeah. Or if they're using other languages. I find this sometimes uh, I try to look for things in Slovene and I'm like, Oh wow, that was not the right user intent. So I'm using <laughs> the wrong word. <laughs> yeah. So, it's yeah, it's a really nice way to see that these three things are really interconnected, but they're all run by humans. Yeah. Um, and understanding that can help us understand that it's not a mystery. If we just understand that, it's very clear. Yeah. And I think thinking a, a, around those three things and the way they relate to each other also, I think for me, when you mentioned in the talk, just made me think about making sure you were kind of covering all of the bases in terms of engagement, because it's so easy to think, maybe about that first interaction, the the user in search, and we think, okay, right, what keywords are they going to be using? How's my search result going to be looking? How am I going to get clicks and all of that? But then actually, you can't forget about the fact that there needs to be that human or user website relationship once they get to you, because actually, if they get to your website, and it's not what they want, then there was no point in doing well in search. Um, yeah. 
so yeah it just it just really helped me to think and I know you've you've mentioned before that uh you you weren't sure that whether this would be sort of a helpful topic for SEOs but for me it was actually like a brand new way of thinking about it I think and just kind of um I guess just yeah just conceptualizing it in your mind in a way that makes you think oh yeah I need to actually make sure that I've thought about these different areas and not just get too laser focused on one part of SEO yeah yeah I think it's really easy to do that especially if you're more focused on one aspect or another yeah but if the user isn't going to see you in the search results and if they cannot navigate your website then it's useless it's everything is useless <laughs> there yeah. there are so much competition they're just going to click back and click to the next link yeah it's a it's a ruthless world out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and something you then went on to discuss in your talk that i think will probably take kind of the the bulk of the, the rest of the time that we have together today was about using some of the research methods that you were familiar with from your academic uh, kind of studies and career and taking them into SEO and seeing how we can apply those uh, in what we do now, which was where I think you, you gave some really great ideas that I was able to take away and I hope people will be able to take away from listening to this. Um, so one of the first ones that jumped out at me and I wanted to spend some time on today was using participant observation and learning from informants in SEO. Mm -hmm. um, so if we start with participant observation, uh, what, what does that mean? And then how does it, how can you start applying that to SEO? Sure. Participant observation, um, a lot of people know this as the anthropologist that went out into the field and, and studied uh, in a, for a few years, learning the language, yeah. the culture, the customs. It's a type of data collection that involves this full immersion and participation. Right. So it's not that you're just there and you're just watching, but you're there and watching, but you're observing, you're taking notes, but you're also participating. So anthropologists would learn the language. They would participate in rituals. They would learn the recipes, you know, these, mm. these tiny little things, these everyday things that people don't think about anthropologists were engaging in them trying to do it from different perspectives trying to immerse themselves in a new way of life to try yeah. to understand you know where do we connect as humans what is different you know what what drives someone to make a different decision and i think that while psychology is really important i think that culture is really important as well mm. and especially when you're talking about marketing and niches and you have these very specific subcultures and they have rules of, you know, what you can say, what you don't say, the things that they like or they don't like, their yeah. internal politics and history. A lot of this stuff can be uncovered through using anthropological methods. And participant observation, while it is traditionally done in person, um, you can do it online, which I think is really interesting and a really powerful way that for marketers to do a quick turnaround. Yeah, um, because going out yeah. to the field for a few years, not possible. Um, you might have to be working with a very big budget to make yeah. that possible. Um, so, yeah, what, what kind of environments um, might you be looking to do this in? What, what kind of uh, how could you see this kind of applying to different types of client work? Yeah, this can be done. Um, I always say Facebook groups. I think Facebook yeah. groups are such an excellent like microcosm of different subcultures and niches. Um, they're already there. You can, some of them are public. You can join other ones. Um, you yeah. can find on social media. I mean, TikTok now is really kicking off. 
And I noticed a lot of really interesting cultural aspects going on with TikTok and the um, communities that are forming there. And I think one aspect of it is that lots of people are able to, you know, really reply, do stitches, whatever. And there's lots of Mm. comment engagement on there. And this is where I find the meat (laughs) is in comments. (laughs) Yeah. So comments, while, you know, you have to know which people are just trying to get attention and not, but through reading enough of this content within a niche, you're going to really start to understand things are going to come up over and over and over again. Yeah. So using these niche forums, social media groups, um, you can even create your own group um, of people who are interested in a specific topic. So yeah, it can be anywhere on the internet. <laughs> okay. And what what kind of topics? Have you got some some examples of things you've looked at before or things you you think would work particularly well? Just so that listeners can maybe start to kind of think about where where might they use this and what sort of groups would would work particularly well. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think of a good a good example at the moment. There are so many. I mean, some niches don't work as well. Yeah. Of course, like working in some lifestyle brands, that might be really hard because mm. those things are kind of bought by everyone. They don't have like a subculture around them. Okay. So I think that these things can be useful if you're trying to break into a new market, especially local SEO. I think local yeah. SEO, this is one of the best things that you can do is going into local groups and understanding the local culture and getting to know those important people who have a say and have an influence in town. Um, I also do it a bit with my clients when I'm doing content creation for them. Yeah. I work for a company that does uh, urban planning and architect uh, plugin for for another software. It's very specific. I don't know anything about this stuff. So I just started reading everything I can get my hands on. I went to Reddit. I went to forums. I read all the blogs and websites. And then uh, probably going, kicking a little bit ahead, uh, I started interviewing people as my informants. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, that's something I want to come on to. Um, But just on the groups before we move Uh move beyond that, um, just as you were saying, I can really imagine this working well for... Uh, anything that kind of overlaps with a particular hobby like that seems yeah that seems like something um I, I've, I've worked with uh clients who are sort of in the video game space and also in like um tabletop gaming as well um so I had a client last year who we worked with for a while who uh did stuff for like uh role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that and um that was something that there was so much sort of specific language associated with that even just to do the sort of most basic content on the website there's almost nothing you could do without being aware of the language and and thankfully for that one I I do like that hobby and I'm into that myself and um I was able to bring a colleague on to help me who's also into it but as we were going through we were kind of looking at this thinking like even even for us knowing the hobby there were some things that were getting beyond us and I can see how that immersion in those groups particularly in places like like reddit like you said or possibly like twitter hashtags and facebook groups and things like i can see how it'd be absolutely invaluable and, and stop you looking looking like you don't know what you're talking about like it because because you can quickly lose credibility in these kind of environments as well if you're putting out content that doesn't make any sense to the people who want to read it exactly like these are two really big niches as well that definitely yeah they definitely go. Um, I have been doing a bit of, 
observation on participant observation on my own in the gaming community. Oh yeah. Stuff. Um, not for a client, but I have some ideas. So <laughs> there's some interesting things going on there, which they also happen cross platform, which I think is important. Yeah. No, don't just go on to one place and see what's going on there. For example, especially in gaming, if you're doing like an online game, I can see that conversations are happening across Twitter, private discord channels on Twitch and like all concurrently. And yeah, it can get really complicated to study, but it's really interesting. But yes, exactly. As you said, if you aren't part of the in, you know, the culture, there's an in and there's an out the other and culture. What we try to do as humans is that we try to create these rules and these boundaries to define who's us and who's them. Yes. And when you have these subcultures, you really create these little boundaries that only you guys know. They become like inside jokes or stories or language that you use that maybe other people don't use. But when you use it and someone looks at you a certain way, you're like, oh, you're one of us. Yeah. And so when you're able to capture this, I think you can create really powerful content that yeah. can convert. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And and I can, I mean, I can already see so many ways that that applies and, um, I could just see how building those those sort of genuine like relationships and sort of genuinely getting involved in those communities would would give you a huge a huge edge. Um, and I know working like working with this sort of tabletop client last year, one of the big things for them in in working with us was the fact that we were able to demonstrate some knowledge of the niche even before we'd started mm-hmm. work together. And I think if you are you know if you're an agency or freelance and and wanting to work with those kind of with, with clients in any kind of niche, then even before you start work, being able to demonstrate some knowledge, it sounds like a really good way to get yourself off on the right foot. Yeah. Um, but the the next kind of level beyond this or related to this, which you mentioned in the talk, which uh, was also something that I don't know if I'd ever really considered before, was um, speaking to, I think you called them an informant um, yeah. from that group. So what were you, what were you talking about there and and kind of um, what's that adding or how's that differing from participant observation? Sure. So participant observation, you're there and you're participating, you're keeping notes, you're observing. It's It can be a passive but not so passive uh, situation. But through yeah. this, you will identify somebody who you think would be a great source to interview. So somebody who sort of I like to think of them as they become your guide to the culture. You need an insider who's going to explain the culture, who's going to teach you things, maybe introduce you to the right people to get where you need to go, to get the information that you need. Um, This can be a very informal relationship. It can be very formalized interview. You can do it in any way that you see fit. Um, As I mentioned before, I had informants uh, when I was doing some work is that I was actually just interviewing the employees at the place uh, I work for. And I saw how they talked about it, uh, talked about the program, talked about their career, talked about their work and the words they used, what they were excited about, what, you know, what was frustrating. And I also located someone outside of the company who was actually a cousin of mine who's an architect yeah. and just spent an hour talking to her about this stuff. And through that, I just got those little bits, those little like, you know, those words, those phrases. I was able to piece it all together and say, OK, this is. This is what's important to these people, and yeah. and I'm going to write about this. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's I suppose that's my natural follow up is is what kind of activities does that information then help you do better than than what you could do before? 
because because of like the quick turnaround, I think, with a lot of the content uh, that we have to produce in marketing, yeah. that I don't have the time to become an expert. I can try <laughs> to become one. I can read quite a lot. I can I can basically learn enough to be able to write the carbon copy, you know, page one article about this topic. Yeah. But I'm not going to get the the nitty gritty, I guess, the the good stuff and. Because of my training and interviewing, I, I know the right things, I guess, to ask and the things that I'm missing. Like, I just know from writing an article, okay, what would be helpful? How, how can I get uh, the reader to connect to this topic? Yeah. And then I try to find a very emotional response from people that I'm interviewing. Like I said, I want to find the problem points and I want to find what they're passionate and excited about. Because these yeah. are things you want people to feel stuff. Yeah. And that goes back to the relationships that we were talking about before. That's that's how users are engaging with your website, right? And the relationship you're building there. Yeah. And actually, there was a talk at Brighton as well that I thought um, really, really kind of paired well with yours. Um, it was Ryan Law from Animals talking about, um, oh, yeah. talking about a, a variety <laughs> of, of topics to do with content. But one of the things I, that really stuck out for me was um, him talking about really like having an opinion in a niche and being able to be a thought leader in a niche rather than just reproducing what all of the top ranking articles are saying yeah. and how that can set you apart. And it sounds like the methods that you're talking about would really help you to get the knowledge uh, to do something like that because you could just ask the experts for their opinions rather than having to come up with them yourself, which might not be possible. Yeah, exactly. And this can also fall into the, you know, experts, opinion, expert quotes. If this informant, they don't have to be an expert, but if they are, even better. Yeah. You can quote them and use it to get a PR. It's, yeah. It's a yeah, great it's got, opportunity for this. Yeah, it's got a brilliant digital PR opportunity overlap as well. I, in my job, I'm very laser focused on sort of on-page content because that's my that's my area. That's what I do. But yeah, it's worth saying that it goes beyond that as well. And being into these communities actually gives you a huge resource for being able to do things with digital PR campaigns and creative content that you might not have been able to come up with on your own. Yeah. And um, just another thing I'm curious about with the, again, with the practicalities of this, like I get if you're, if it's sort of a client or someone you're close to, then you can just, you can just be completely upfront about what you're doing. Like they're not really Mm going to have any questions and they'll hopefully be, they'll hopefully be happy to help. But can can you reach out to sort of people online or people you don't already have that relationship with and and get something like this going like get get functionally a stranger to become an informant for you and um you know how careful do you have to be with that and i guess how transparent do you have to be like do you just say what you're doing or do you yeah yeah i don't i don't know i'm just trying to get my head around the practicalities of it really yeah sure i think that your informant should be um, aware of all t- mm-hmm. at, at all times when you are interviewing them that what they say can be used in your yeah. work and stuff like informant is a very personal um, relationship it's something yeah. that you definitely should not exploit I yeah. think the best way that's why I'd like to pair it with participant observation so that if you are observing a niche a group a subculture and you notice that one person in particular stands out that they know a lot maybe they're really friendly you know, you can reach out to them and explain what you're doing. 
Yeah. And ask them if they would like to help you. Um, there's even, there's no problem compensating your informants. I've done it in the past. Okay. If they gave me time, I just gave them like a gift card or something, just like what you do with like surveys. Yeah. Um, if you are really taking up a lot of time with people, um, be aware of that because they're human too. Um, they're not just a data point. So yeah, I think the best way to find it is through the participant observation because it gives you the ability to also immerse yourself in their world. Yeah. And so that you're not just taking from them. You're actually trying to put in the work, you the effort, you're learning. And then from that, you can build really useful, deep questions to yeah. then ask your informant. Yeah. And I guess depending on the niche as well, some uh, some informants are, are probably going to be quite 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 happy to be given a bit yeah. of a, a platform to share and something to contribute to. Of course, yeah, well, that's well, that's really that's really interesting, and I definitely want to go and try this myself. And particularly, I think even if it's just arranging some time to sit down with with clients, or even if it's not your main marketing content, even uh, contact, even if it's someone like in the in the sales team or in the customer services team, like I can see. Um, this would be a really great step that actually I think most people who are freelance or in agencies could could take to just improve their knowledge of their industries. Yeah. And um, something else you you mentioned that uh, I was keen on bringing up now was um, combining this kind of uh, micro data, as you called it, where which you might get from this observation and interviews with um, macro data, so you know bigger, more quantitative sources of data. So. What what kind of data sources can can you pair well together? Like what 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 examples would there be of larger macro sources fitting together with micro sources to create content that you can use? Well, it can get complicated, especially talking about like a niche community mm -hmm. and getting data for this. But there are a lot of places that offer free massive data sets. And that is through, you know, the U.S. Census, Eurostat, uh, data.gov.uk, um, yeah. OECD data. There's even Google has um, google.com slash public data. Yeah. Uh, they have access to all these data sets. So you can okay. essentially use these things. A lot of people are using them and doing very basic analysis, maybe just like, account of yeah. who was here or there and and very basic analysis but actually you can do really complex um calculations through this data if you were interested or inclined okay um but you can also collect your own data um a lot of people say that it's very expensive and and that it doesn't produce results um i will argue that maybe they don't know the right questions to ask or they're yeah. not giving the surveys to the correct people yeah. Because I think they can be incredibly powerful in a niche community to do large amounts of data if you know the right questions to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Oh what? This this is going to be an incredibly broad question that may mm -hmm. not be that may not be that helpful. Um I was gonna say what what I don't want to just say what kind of questions, but that is what I want to say. Um could you <laughs> maybe give give a couple of examples of like of of ways that you could actually go about collecting that yourself that that would be a bit more a bit more helpful and a bit more achievable for people? Yeah, so my probably my biggest tip for designing uh, research in a survey mm. is to understand uh, that each answer will become a data point. And what mm -hmm. do you want to do with that data point? 
Like, what is your purpose of it? Like, what are you going to do with that number once you get it? If you don't know, then you don't need that. Um, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it can be useful, but like, you don't need to waste people's time. It's ask questions that like those answers, not only are they interesting, but they're useful. Think yeah. about if they're leading questions, those are not going to produce good data. Um, of course, you can ask the basic stuff, their employment, income, education, yeah. you can get this through the census data or the government data. So you can just be very mindful about having a conversation and, and allowing them to share their responses. But this is also goes back to understanding the subculture, the niche or whatever that you're dealing yeah. with. Like, don't ask them dumb questions. They're going to know. <laughs> They're going to know immediately. Yeah. And I guess if you're if you're already involved or if you've been doing participant observation for a while, then you can if if you think the group is kind of open to it, you can be using those subcultures that you're a part of to to ask those questions like send out your surveys rather than having it having to do it through just a general kind of tool that's gonna, you know, go out to people anywhere in the world. Yeah, this is exactly it. This is why I think participant observation is so important that yeah. you you really get an insider look to a specific topic, which will make you a better researcher and create better content. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's going to be a, that's going to be, I think, a major takeaway from this episode for people listening. And I guess if, if there's one idea that I think anyone in sort of SEO who, who can put a bit of time into it could actually take away and do, it's that, that participant observation and uh, then potentially the informant, uh, the informant side of things as well, especially if you've got a good relationship there or a good client who's willing to help you. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering, just to sort of, I suppose, tie up the questions um, and just make sure that people are sort of aware of all of the ins and outs of this. Um, we see in, in academic research, and we've touched on it with informants already, the consent of participants is, is vital. Like there's a huge ethical component to setting up and planning your research. Um, so is there anything as SEOs that we just need to be mindful of or best practices that we should be doing to make sure that when we're collecting data or observing groups that we're, that we're just in good ethical standing when we do it and, and not causing any problems for ourselves or, or for the people involved? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very fine line. Mm. I wish I could say to just be a, a decent human being. But <laughs> you can say that if you want to. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't. We have to create a boundary. Um, yeah. People have been exploited for a long period of time. Yeah. And especially in this aspect, you're exploiting them for a financial gain. Mm -hmm. So you have to be mindful. Um, if you are joining a very public, local Facebook group, you don't have to announce what you're doing. Yeah. You can just Pretend you live there, or maybe you do live there. <laughs> um, if you speak with an informant, yeah, I think that you should have explicit written consent. Okay. That you should do everything you can to protect the identities of those that you interviewed if they're giving you sensitive data. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, ways to do this and protect. Um, I usually don't ever record my participants' uh, names when I do interviews anywhere okay. in writing. Um even in the original files, so that if there was any leaks, there was no way to tie it to them. Yeah. Um, or I create a code and everyone gets a number and that document's saved somewhere else and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. So things like this. If you do maybe a tight-knit private community with um, young moms or teen moms or something, then no, mm. you, you should not be in there <laughs> and taking that data. Yeah. Uh, it's mindful of what is the content, how private is the community, even if it is on the internet. Yeah. how open it is yeah 
that's that's really good advice and I think a really helpful takeaway to kind of finish the finish the interview on and hopefully give people some really practical stuff um I mean but before we wrap up I just wanted to ask you is there um is, is there anything else maybe in addition to what we've just said here or anything else from your Brighton talk that's helpful to mention here that you just think would would be a helpful sort of practical takeaway for people or or have we sort of covered everything that you'd want to cover hmm. I just, um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here, obviously. Of course. <laughs> um, I just think that um, you need to kind of leave yourself at the door, I like to say. Okay. Uh, drop, drop your ego, drop your beliefs, drop everything when you do this research. Um, okay. This is, this is how an anthropologist would do it. Uh, we would never say, that's oh, that's weird, that's strange. No, it's different. Um, it's just a different way of doing it. It's a new perspective. And that's all we're doing. We're just understanding new perspectives and ideas. So yeah. try to remove yourself because we all have biases. It's hard. But it, uh, this is the way that this research will be a lot easier. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I'm, I'm glad I threw that random question out at you, which I know you weren't prepared for. So sorry about that because I did not include it in the notes. But that was actually a really, really nice little takeaway for the end. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I'll go back on script now and uh, ask you, um, where can people find you? How can people hear more about what you're doing or or just kind of yeah, follow follow what's going on for you at the moment? Sure. Um, Wallflower Studios uh, SI is my marketing agency. Um, elsewhere on the Internet, I'm kind of known as Wandering Helene because yeah. I have a travel blog, Wandering Helene. So on all my socials, that's what I am. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Thank you, and we'll uh, well we'll include the social information uh, and a link to Wallflower in the um, in the blog that goes live and in the podcast notes as well. So people should be able to find you very easily. All being well, um, and I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's been a it's been a pleasure to have you, and thank you for everything that you've shared today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time chatting. Bri- yeah, brilliant. Well, I'll wrap up the episode then. So uh, that is everything for this week. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more on-page SEO content. And we're excited to continue to bring you a variety of voices from within the SEO industry. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your podcast app of choice. Anything like that uh, really helps us continue to reach new people. Um, And if you want to send in any questions for our future guests or just chat to us about SEO, or even if you're interested in being on the podcast yourself, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Ben J. Gary with two R's. Um, and everything that is going on at Impression can be found on the uh, impression.co.uk slash blog, which has just had a makeover along with the rest of the site. So uh, go and check that out. It's all looking very shiny and new, uh, which is very nice to look at now. And uh, we also highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers, which is a fantastic way to find uh, brilliant people in SEO who are writing and talking about the kind of things that we cover on this podcast. Um, So Helene, thank you once again for joining us. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for your next installment of On Page Conversation. Thanks, everyone.